Hi there, folks, and welcome. Welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima again, and this podcast is brought to you, among others, by our sponsor, Snaps.talk. If you want to look like a Hollywood star on your social media or capture a special moment like a child's birthday, or you need high-resolution photos for a sales brochure of your company's website, Snaps.talk, they offer professional photography and videography shootings for social media and print, obviously, in Tokyo. They're experienced, they're flexible, they're affordable. Rates start at only 3,000 yen, so about 30 bucks. And photos can be delivered as data, of course, or printed out in several sizes. So from postcard to poster, whatever you want. Don't be shy, contact snaps.talk, T-O-K, at gmail.com for inquiries. And check out Alex Watanabe, the um, owner of the company. His Instagram profile is called Tokyo Night Owl. So check out some of his work, phenomenal stuff. Okay, so for today's episode, here's a recording of a call that I've had with a lovely couple from Australia just a while back, regular visitors to Japan, although obviously they haven't come here for a while, and they were wondering whether it would make sense to purchase a holiday home, an investment property, or both. They're mainly interested in Kyoto, but they were wondering whether an investment elsewhere would make more sense, and whether it's at all feasible to start with one, then convert to the other, so an investment property which they could then use to live in or a place to stay that they can then use for rental income. So really a conversation that's all about property profiles, tenancy terms and conditions, and probably timing above all. So what comes first, what's feasible, what's not. Great little chat. Hope you enjoy it. And I shall see you again on the other side. Okay, so I've I've read through your email. You were initially thinking about a holiday home, but then you've sort of expanded your horizons. Yes, after listening to some of your podcasts, um, you've sort of, <laughs> you've sort of it inspired us to think uh, outside the box a little bit, uh, or a little bit more actually. But um, yeah, initially, and that, that's still the core plan is to buy uh, a house, a property in Kyoto, yep. and because um, we both love Kyoto, it's one of our favorite places in Japan, and uh, uh, I'm uh, a furniture maker, we both run a furniture making school, and uh, we're both very much interested in, you know, traditional crafts, and uh, we, we feel like Kyoto is the best spot to sort of um yeah to have a home away uh, from home kind of thing yes it is a bit of a home away from home japan and uh so that's still our main goal to, to find a place in kyoto and we'd like to spend up to about six months a year uh in kyoto and uh but um yeah listening to some of your we recently went up up for a drive at Easter time to Echuca and um, we were listening to some of your podcasts and uh, very, very interested in all the information that we uh, gained from from quite a few uh, of those podcasts uh, that you presented and um, yeah, I uh, we're both kind of uh, mildly interested in maybe um, purchasing an apartment too uh, as an investment. Um, and you, you and, come to uh, Japan uh, regularly, do you? 
What's that, sorry? You come to Japan regularly, do you? Well, uh, not not as regular as we'd, we'd like. Not at the moment. Uh, that's a, a future goal. Uh, but we were supposed to be there. Last September. Yeah. And, and no one's uh, going anywhere at the moment, are they? Yeah. yeah. And that got cancelled, of course. And... Uh, um, so this special uh, ceremony in Nagasaki that Jackie was going to um, is I they're trying to uh, run it this year, but I'm very doubtful. So I I don't think we'll get there this year as well. And uh, so we're hoping we're really hoping to get there as soon as possible, just to scout and. Uh, Stay in Kyoto for a little while just to check it out. We've been to Kyoto maybe seven or eight times uh, over the years. And, of course, we lived in Japan in the 90s. And um, uh, we we both traveled to Kyoto quite a few times then. So, mm, so you're quite familiar with it. And w when you say uh, – I'll just focus on the holiday home aspect first. When you say um, – to buy, and you, you mentioned that you're a woodworker, but are you talking about a traditional type of Japanese home? Because the carpentry on those is quite a bit different to what we're used to in the West. Yes, yes, absolutely, yeah. We're very interested in a traditional home, but um, I have a suspicion they're uh, either popular or more expensive, um, but I'm not sure I've... Uh, I've We've only been sort of logging on to one website to gain an idea of what's available. And I think um, this website uh, specializes in fairly expensive properties. Yeah. But, um, Is it an English, yeah, or English or Japanese but, website? Uh, it's a Japanese real estate agent. Yeah. And they seem to specialize in providing properties for foreign people. Uh, and they're based in Kyoto, I think. Well, that might be agree. that might be why it's expensive too. I mean, the few yeah. real estate companies in Japan that do cater to foreigners do that because they can charge a higher premium. Yes. Um, yeah. So it's not necessarily. I mean, we might even find uh, maybe not the same property, but similar properties that are just on the native Japanese websites that are strictly in Japanese and dealing strictly with Japanese buyers. We might find them a lot cheaper. That's that's often been the case for us. Yeah, well, that's that's essentially why we're we're very interested. In, well, we were very interested in contacting you because we we sort of felt that uh, the back of our minds that that was perhaps the case, and uh, yeah, we're we're sort of looking for um, some guidance from you about where to possibly look, or um, maybe some websites or. Uh, Some, something that we could uh, spend a bit of time researching. Um, but, yeah, traditional house is is preferable. Um, but uh, And we have a... Jackie and I were talking about a, a sort of a rough budget uh, today, but um, this is for the house in Kyoto, but uh, it's... Uh, This is based on some of the houses that we've already seen, uh, which are probably at the higher end, but um, we were looking at maybe uh, 20 million yen as a maximum yep. that we could 
probably uh, find to put towards uh, a house. And then when you say that you'll be working on it or renovating it, do you mean that you'll be doing it hands-on or will you be sourcing Japanese carpenters and so forth? Because I'm just not sure how well your skills um, in Australia would translate to Japanese carpentry, that's all. Yeah, I think uh, even if I had the highest skills, I think I would still not uh, come up to par in Japan. I mean, the skills are incredible generally. But um, uh, look, I'm interested in doing some of the work myself, but I'm also a bit practical. I mean, a bit more practical. uh, uh, And I'm pretty sure that I'll be involving local craftspeople or artisans or uh, builders. Um, yeah, I don't think I've been in a position to do all of the work. Maybe you could um, act as an intern to them while they're working on the house and just pick up some skills yes. from them. <laughs> well, that, actually, that's kind of the idea of um, me being there uh, six months of the year. I'm, I'm going to make myself available for volunteer work for craftspeople in particular. So that's my am and Jackie's got things that she'd like to do there but um, that's my main aim while well, while staying in Kyoto I think budget wise that should be doable the question would be how beautifully done the place already is and how big it is that's always a big consideration in Japan because space is a premium and yeah. um, also how far from the city center or from the uh, more popular uh, areas of the city you willing to be so if you're okay with them saying something that's uh, suburban Kyoto or just out of the city limits that enables you to uh, comfortably travel to the city itself when you want it'll probably be a lot cheaper yeah we're we're happy to live uh just on the you know on the outskirts of Kyoto we don't mind traveling a bit um we we definitely like to be uh, sort of, well, we'd definitely like to have easy access to transport, um, whether it be a bus or a train. Um, and uh, we have uh, a few times when we've stayed in Kyoto, we have stayed in some quite tiny places. Um, so, um, you know, we're not looking for something too big, uh, maybe two bedrooms if possible. Um, but uh, yeah, our expectations that are that it will be small. So um, maybe up to eighty to a hundred square meters. Would that suit you? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that budget should be doable for that. Um, again, depending on exact location and how much work will need to be done on the place. Um, you are aware that traditional Japanese homes are not very well insulated, so you might want to look into some expenses towards that as well. Yeah, I remember on one of the podcasts uh, from you that we listened to, you were talking about that with the client. And uh, I hadn't actually, up until listening to that, I hadn't actually thought of that before. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, Double glazed windows and other measures. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And the more traditional the house, the more work would be required to achieve that and the less effective the insulation would be because um, the traditional old school Japanese homes, 
usually have a lot of spaces between the walls and between the doors and the frames. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I personally, that doesn't bother me or scare me. Um, you're not coming in the winter, are you? No. <laughs> well, no, we, we, uh, we actually, uh, well, Jackie and I haven't talked about this at great lengths, but uh, I'd like to be in Japan from um, July to December um, uh, and be back in Australia for Christmas generally when when we do arrange this but um, but yeah we were we had about uh, seven winters in Japan you know they they can be quite cold yeah. um, and crisp well coming from Melbourne it's not a huge difference I would no, say. no no uh, Melbourne's balmy compared to well Melbourne winters are balmy compared to well, actually, no, there's not a great deal. It's probably about five to eight degrees difference, I would say. Yeah, and Kyoto specifically is insulated by all those mountains, so it's probably not as cold as some other parts of the country. Okay, and so, so that, that I think should be doable within your budget. And what were you thinking on the investment front? Right, well, um, that we have uh, actually less of an idea because um, it's really just been a recent thought and like I said based on listening to some of your great podcasts um, and uh, I have um, I do remember I think you mentioned to one client that uh, and I'm not sure how old this podcast was but um, two to five million yen I think uh, I think you mentioned that uh, it was possible entry level to a, a half decent apartment uh, as an investment yes is that's that that's correct? correct yeah but the lower end of that is going to be not very high on the potential capital growth because it's going to be a prefectural capital or a very not a secondary uh, third tier city so population yeah. numbers and industries might still be okay but they're not going to stand they're not going to be standing to gain in value as much as more central properties would be that's the only thing yeah. i mean japan is generally not a capital growth environment anyway but some people do yeah, like to have right. at least the potential for that if and when the economy does well yeah um so the lower end the two three million yen end is probably not going to have much of that it will have higher cash flow in comparison with, say, the uh, four, five, six million yen places, which would be more central uh, metro properties. So the cash flow would be lower, but they would stand to uh, gain more in value if and when that happens. Yeah. But both, yeah, both, both are doable, the lower end and the higher end of that. And I was also very interested to hear that um, I think the, the city you're based in, um, which is... Uh, Fukuoka. Fukuoka. Yes, yeah. best city um, in the world. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, we we actually uh, had never been to Fukuoka. It's one of the, well, uh, brief, briefly, but um, I haven't spent a great deal of time there, and it was in the nineties. Um, oh, you'd and, be surprised uh, these days. Yes. Well, I was quite intrigued about what you said about it. Um, it sounds like a quite uh, quite a happening place at the moment. It is, and entry levels here are slightly higher, so you're probably looking at three and a half fish to enter here. 
Um, and yields are going to be slightly lower than the cheaper places again. So in Fukuoka City, if we're talking net before tax, meaning including all of your purchase costs and all of the uh, routine monthly costs, but excluding your annual taxes and exclude, I mean, you're probably not going to be up for income tax uh, if you're just getting the one property, but there would be property tax. Um, and excluding any unknowns, so vacancies, maintenance, and so forth. Um, yep. You're probably looking at 6 to 7% net pre-tax, if we're lucky, in Fukuoka. Whereas yep, some of the cheaper places around the uh, 2 3 million mark in places like uh, Kumamoto or Hiroshima or Sapporo, you're probably looking at a little bit higher than that. But again, not, not much growth potential. Yeah, I see. Yeah. Um, well, we, uh, we, we actually haven't researched all apartments uh, because it's such a recent idea. Yeah. Um, but we had, a, uh, we had another idea, and that was to perhaps maybe also, as well as uh, Hakata, but maybe look at uh, the potential to buy an apartment in Kyoto and use that as a base until we find a house. And then rent uh, it out. Yeah, and then rent that rent that apartment out. But um, but so these had, these cash cash cow or cash flow properties that you're talking about, they're tiny. I'm not sure how comfortable that would be for you, even for a few months. We're talking. Um, something like 15 to maybe 20 square meters. It's basically a, a, oh, yeah. a hotel room. Oh, right. Yeah. But then we lived in um, Tokyo for about eight years in a shoebox. So. Okay. <laughs> if you're okay uh, going back to your roots for a few months, that's doable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, there was one property we lived in. It was probably um, uh uh, eight square meters. <laughs> uh, it's unbelievable. Nearly, nearly created a divorce between the two of us. But I don't think I've ever seen that. The, the smallest that we've ever sold was just over twelve square. Eight square sounds like it's basically just a futon, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it was a, a friend's uh, little uh, space at the at the base of his house, and. Uh, thought he was doing us a favor but uh <laughs> but anyway we can get a, a little bit bigger than that i think yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> we survived that one but um anyway um, but in, in kyoto we, just thinking about when you will be moving out of that one so in kyoto um maybe similar to fukuoka so six six and a half percent net pre-tax once you do rent it out would that be okay for you yield wise Oh yes, I, uh, yeah, it's better, much better than it is here. Um, I know. Oh, I know that. <laughs> yeah, so that's quite good. Uh, we we feel. Yeah. Um, but uh, we were wondering, um, just in terms of if if that was a scenario we went for, and um, um, what sort of tenancy agreements are typical in Japan? Is it a, a six month or a year or? Is it's, it ongoing? Is that sort of typical? The typical is a two years rolling lease. Yep. So they usually sign up for two years. You'd occasionally get a tenant that would specifically ask to make it for one year instead of two. But generally speaking, it's two years. 
I see. And then there's nothing really um, officially signed. I mean, it depends on the property manager. Some of them do actually make a new contract when that expires because they want to charge the tenant an extra fee. But um, in many cases, it's just going to automatically roll over without any signatures being exchanged. I see. Um, but it's important to note that those terms are far more compelling to you, the landlord, than they are to the tenants. So tenants basically... Like in Australia, if I was to move out of a tenancy lease, mid-lease, then I would have to keep paying the landlord until a new tenant is sourced. Yeah. That doesn't happen in Japan. So the most you'll be able to get if somebody moves out mid-lease is a month or two in compensation. Yeah. And then after the first two years are done, not even that. So they just need to give you a month's notice and they can go, whereas you're obliged to them for the remainder of the lease. So the, lo the legislation here is very tenant-oriented. Oh, I see. So if uh, if the tenant signed a two-year lease and after a year we wanted it back, <laughs> you would have to allow them to, to, to rent, you know, get to the end of their lease period before. Correct. You Plus, you'll need to give them six months' notice if you're not going to renew it. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's uh, interesting. And that's, I mean, that's mainly because... Generally, I mean, there's bad apples everywhere, but generally speaking, Japanese tenants are hassle-free and very docile, so yeah. they yes. would very rarely cause any trouble, and actually landlords yeah. have been taking advantage of them historically, which is why the legislation was uh, changed to be more tenant-oriented. So yeah. well, legally, yeah. legally, they've got a bigger leg to stand on than you do, but practically, um, they, they just don't. I mean, I've never had a tenant... Um, take us to court or, or, or file any significant claims against us or anything of that sort. They just don't do that here. I see. Yeah, the, the only reason I was really, uh, that Jackie and I wanted to ask that was we were just toying with the idea of maybe finding a tenant bef before we turned up in Kyoto to look for a house. But I think based on what you've just said, if we do find an apartment and it happens to be in and Kyoto, uh, maybe just to leave it empty until we get there and then uh, use that as a base, uh, perhaps uh, until we find a house and then uh, and then rent out the apartment after. It does, after it does make more sense. It does make more sense if you know that you're coming in the near future. Plus, once a tenant moves out, there's always going to be at least a little bit of wear and tear and renovations included. Yeah. Um, so see. if you know that you're coming in, say, such and such month's time, then maybe a month or two prior to that, we'd just look for a vacant apartment that's already been freshly renovated. Yeah. yeah. That would probably be the most cost-efficient way to go about it, if you are if you are certain that you're going to be using the place. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I see. So I guess it depends on when the Australian government's going to open the borders uh, to I think, let us out. I think they'll open it a lot more before, a lot earlier than Japan will. I think I've just read yesterday that they're actually bringing up the topic of cancelling the Olympics again, and they're definitely the vaccines here are going to take a while. I mean, I, I was yeah. I was doing my annual medical checkup a, a month ago, and I was asking the doctor when he thinks we'll be getting vaccines, and he's like, I didn't even get my vaccine yet, so. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah, so. well, it's the same. It's the same deal here, where Australia's really struggling to obtain uh, vaccines for the population because, um, yeah, I guess uh, from the manufacturer's point of view, we're not a priority because we've dealt with COVID so well in Australia. So plus money talks, right? 
Yeah, money talks. Sure does. So here, here we're not expecting a general population rollout before I'd say September, October, uh, at the best case scenario. Yeah. And even after that, I'm not sure how quickly they'd be opening up the borders. So the fact that Australia is already considering the bubble with New Zealand um, sort of clues me into the fact that it's probably going to happen a lot faster um, border-wise in Australia than it will here. Yeah, that uh, that travel bubble has started. Um, has and, started. Uh, yeah, it has started officially, and um, they're talking. I've heard mention of Singapore is another potential, and Japan is another, and, one. and Japan. But um, but I've also heard that Japan's going through another wave at the moment. I think the numbers are increasing. Wavish, yes, we're up to I think uh, two thousand five hundred or three thousand cases daily. Um, but I don't, I mean, that, that's news to me. I mean, if I'm glad that Australia is considering it. I'm just not sure how much Japan is actually considering it, to be honest. Yeah, definitely <laughs> takes the two countries yeah. to make that decision. But, um, but just, it would be good. Uh, yeah. I was just going to ask you, I, I just, uh, I've noticed something on one of the websites that we have been looking at that really uh, fascinated me and that it was, there was one house in Kyoto it was in quite nice condition but it was extremely cheap and uh, sure enough I read between the lines and it said uh, um, that in the event of a disaster you're not allowed to um, rebuild yes that's um, because the uh, landing just, the landing zoning regulations have changed since build yeah um, there are some ways around that. So if the house has a concrete base, for example, and you then construct on that same base, it's officially considered a renovation and not a rebuild. Right. Um, but that would take some serious digging into and maybe an inspection by an architecture company before we can confirm that's going to be the case, uh, whether that's going to be possible or not. Yeah, I, I think uh, I'm personally I'm not... I don't think I'm interested in looking at properties like that, but I, I was quite surprised how much cheaper it was than anything else. And I, I guess I was wondering, is that is that kind of common? Um, it's common there... in um, it's common in areas that are um, quite central and where the houses are quite old. Right. Yeah. And then the public roads to allow more access as cars got wider, they they had to change the regulations of what sort of distance you can build from the um, from the nearest access road. And if the house was built uh, 50, 60, 70 years ago, that, that it just no longer complies. That land plot no longer complies with modern building standards. I, yeah. Um, but that shouldn't be an issue in more suburban areas, and it should be even less of an issue if the house is relatively new. But because you're looking specifically at Kyoto, which is a very traditional place, and you're looking at specifically traditional homes, that is something that we'll need to look into uh, for each and every property potential, yes. I see. And is there, um, are there websites that you could perhaps uh, direct this to that would enable us to, uh, you know, on a regular basis, uh, just have a look and see what's on the market? Yep, but they're strictly Japanese, so you'll have to uh, work closely with uh, Google Translate. Yeah, yeah no problem. We, we uh, our Japanese is quite basic, but we uh, plan to uh, 
become more proficient, uh, but obviously not proficient enough to <laughs> to purchase the property by ourselves. Well, uh, I mean, Google Translate, um, especially if you're using Chrome, I, I know you said you're not tec technically inclined, but if you're using uh, the, the Translate feature on the uh, browser, you will get most of the information that you need fairly accurately translated. There are some terms that might be ambiguous, but um, it'll at least give yep. you a rough idea of whether there are any special caveats attached or not. Yeah, one of our teachers uh, here is Japanese, and we have a few Japanese friends, so I'm sure they can give us a hand if we get stuck. But, well, that, that, um, that makes for a good, uh, a good night in with friends and wine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Definitely the wine for Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> Alistair doesn't drink. Okay. Well, Melbourne people are, are good with their wine. I, I've had some amazing wines when I was down there. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, a yeah, so popular pastime. Because I do the drinking and he does the driving. So. <laughs> Match made in heaven there. So you lived in Melbourne? I've lived in Melbourne for six months, and I've been going there frequently when I was living in Australia. But the rest of my time in Oz, I was—I uh, lived on the Gold Coast for about ten years. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. my family's up there. Yeah, but uh, I, Melbourne is definitely my second favorite city, um, aside from Fukuoka. Um, you must have heard this a million times, but if it wasn't for the weather, we'd definitely consider living there. Oh yeah. No. Um, yeah, it's becoming crazier, to be honest. Uh, it's crazy. <laughs> it's global warming, yeah. but, um, but anyway, uh, what city's not experiencing crazy weather? Yeah. Yeah. So, look, I mean, to move forward, I'll send definitely send you a list of websites that you can browse. Thank you. And um, once you send me a few potential properties that um, pick your interest, um, I'll just give you my feedback on those. And right. if and when you're ready to move forward and start submitting offers or making inquiries with the realtors and the sellers, let us know and we'll take it from there. Fantastic. It's pretty exciting. Yep. Happy to be. And and then just let me know. I mean, I'll know based on the listings that you forward to me, but maybe forward a bit of both. So for the smaller apartment and also for the old house. Um, so I'll be able to tell you how that works with your plan to maybe relocate to an apartment first or go directly for the house. And don't be shy to also look at properties that are already uh, tenanted. Something that's already got a tenant in there is definitely not a bad idea because you're right. buying straight yeah. into income as opposed to expenses. Yep. Yeah. And is uh, both of those types of properties listed on the same website? or On all of those same websites, yes. Yeah, Okay. Yeah, right. I'll send you about five or six of those. That'll um, each of them would have hundreds, if not thousands, of listings. So you'll definitely have your homework cut out for you. Wow! Great. Fantastic. Well, we're very happy to have the homework. So <laughs> um, yeah, it's wonderful, and uh, yeah, we're grateful to have uh, cottoned on to your company and uh, those podcasts. So thanks very much. Thank you for that. That's really nice to hear. I appreciate it. No problem. All right. Thanks for your time, guys. No worries. Thank you. Take we'll, care. We'll stay in touch. Sounds good. Okay. Bye-bye. Speak to you soon. Bye. Bye. All right. So there you have it. Lots to think about and consider on both fronts. So holiday home investment property or a combination of both. 
Not to say that it's not doable, but it does need to be carefully planned. So hope you found some value in it. And if you're thinking about moving here on a more permanent basis compared to these couple, or if you are already in Japan on a temporary visa and you want to switch to a permanent one, or for any other business and visa-related inquiry, feel free to contact our other sponsor, Hiroshi Shimizu at japanimmigrationexperts.com. Shimizu-san is an immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener, so he can help you set up a company, he can help you apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and consultation related to these topics that's tailored to your circumstances. He's already done exactly that for many of our listeners, so feel free to reach out to Shimizu-san via his website. Again, that's japanimmigrationexperts.com. And another quick reminder, just before we go, tomorrow is our Clubhouse live Q&A weekly session. So that's in the Japan Real Estate Club on Clubhouse. Emil Gorgi is our favorite um, Tokyo realtor for expats and family. Tracy Northcott, the short-term stay in Airbnb Queen. And Matt Ketchum, the abandoned homes in Akiaguru. Um, and of course, yours truly. So we're there every Wednesday, 1.30 p.m. Japan time. And we'll be more than happy to answer any and all of your questions. So we'd love to see you there. So that's it from us for today, folks. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. Do share it with your networks if you think they may find these topics interesting as well. And of course, leave us a short rating or review on the iTunes Store or Spotify. Oh, almost forgot. We've just upgraded our website. So if you've never seen it or if you've only seen the old version, don't be shy. It looks really nice and gorgeous now. Um, it was done by Orange Rabbit Design Company. We'll link to their website in this episode. Show notes. They're phenomenal web designers. So drop into the website for a visit. Check out some of the articles. We're slowly repopulating it, repopulating it with content. And some of our best YouTube videos, sample properties that we've got on there, some really beautiful holiday homes that we've uploaded recently, and also a nice selection of investment properties that you'll probably love as well if you're that way inclined. So have a look, nippontradings.com, N-I-P-P-O-N, tradings with an S, all one word, nippontradings.com. Let us know what you think. So we hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, have a great day or night, wherever or whenever in the world you might be. Yoroshiku. Yoroshiku.